Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that wants to abolish intellectual property. Today we have Julia and Laura. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> That's right. It's Julia and Laura hour. We love to see it. Hell yes. <laughs> Just two water trines here to tell you about some fucked up shit. So basically the most emotional and watery way possible. <laughs> I love that you know that I'm a water trine and I forgot that information. That's... <laughs> yes, I You're know, keeping us on track. I know everyone's shit because I... Well, I also am like constantly thinking about how I relate to other people that I'm close to and I know that you and I yeah. both have this um That's so it, amazing. Just, it basically just means we're the softest most tenderest and also like kind of psychic type people mm, yeah I feel that yeah. well very intuitive today... is what people will say anyway but <laughs> okay that makes sense yes. well okay today we're gonna apply that energy to <laughs> A discussion about patents and the health crisis currently happening in India, how the U.S. is making the situation worse, and why we need to get rid of vaccine patents. While we're at it, let's just do away with all intellectual property. Um, We're going to talk about this more, but it's just another tool that helps maintain the status quo and prop up our absurdly expensive healthcare system. When I was reading this whole paragraph, I like felt it in my bones. I was like, oh yeah, it's the worst yeah, in every way. We're, it's coming. We're, we're going to do some <laughs> ranting on this one. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I was like, let me stop myself before I get off on too much of a rant about that. Let's give some background. Yes. So we're going to start with what is happening in India. So currently in India, daily new cases of COVID-19 are in the hundreds of thousands. It's Mm. more than even in the U.S. when the pandemic was at its worst here. So things are bad. Um, Healthcare essentials are really limited, just like they have been in every country dealing with these huge waves of cases. And there's also a really big inequity in where those supplies are located. So they're mostly in bigger cities and not smaller towns and villages. But many workers in big cities are trying to get back to their families in smaller towns, partly because of fears that the government will impose another really strict lockdown. Um, Last year, India imposed the strictest lockdown in the world with just four hours of notice. So like at first they were like, you literally cannot leave your house at all. And then they went back on that a little bit. But like, yeah, it was just really extreme. And four hours of notice is like no time. Yeah. Well, also, how do you disseminate that information? Right, exactly. And like people who worked in the city, but lived in smaller towns were just like stranded because everything was shut down. Um, A lot of people ended up walking like hundreds of miles to try to get home to their families. Because like Um, transportation shut down. Right. Yeah. And then like people didn't necessarily have places to stay in the places they were working. So it's like you're supposed to be quarantining, but where do you go? Um, And a lot of people just making those really long treks, like people died or got seriously injured. Um, So understandably, folks are worried about being in a situation like that again. And so they're trying to get home now. Um, But much like in the U.S., where like for example, sending a bunch of college students in a concentrated area, like home to all places all over the country, led to this spike in more rural areas that had more limited hospital supplies. This has similarly meant that more rural areas are now also dealing with a ton of cases of the virus, and they have even more limited supplies than cities do. Um, so thousands of people are dying of COVID there every single day. Um, this is kind of intense, but it's to the extent that crematoriums in major cities like Delhi have run out of kindling for fires. Mm. So they literally just can't handle the amount of bodies that they have right now. Um, and local activists are stepping in to coordinate funerals and the transport of bodies, but it's extremely difficult. And it's just adding another just like layer of horribleness to people who have already suffered losing family members. Um, And something I just wanted to mention is that in India, 70 to 80% of healthcare is controlled by private companies, which makes it that much harder for low income people, especially to get the care that they need. 
Um, so somewhat similar to the Trump administration in the US and other right-wing governments around the world, the Indian government has been spreading a lot of misinformation about the situation and health risks. Um, the leftist writer Arundhati Roy wrote a really great piece in The Guardian last week where she compiled a bunch of examples of this and kind of she lays out the situation and what's happening there um, really well. Uh, for example, currently there's a shortage of oxygen across the country, which is one of the things that many COVID patients need, basically like one of the options when someone is having trouble breathing, doctors give them this like high flow oxygen. Um, and dozens of patients in India have died because they needed this oxygen treatment and hospitals ran out. But after news of this started to come out, India's Solicitor General made a statement in which he said, quote, let's try and not be a crybaby. So far, we have ensured that no one in the country was left without oxygen, unquote. Okay. So that was just like Love a to full be- lie. Right. Like, like <laughs> the crybaby language, like it's so interesting, the parallels with Trump, right? Like, right. This like weird, a lot of like, the stuff I was uh... reading, it reminds me exactly of like the stuff that Trump said. Ugh. Um And then taking things even further, Prime Minister Narendra Modi is a member of this Hindu nationalist group, RSS, and a spokesperson for that group said that, quote, anti-India forces, unquote, would try to use the coronavirus crisis to fuel dissent in the country. And they explicitly asked reporters to try to create a, quote, positive atmosphere. So you know, encouraging literally the spread asking, of misinformation. Yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> Just to be clear on what, what that really yeah, means. Yeah, like what what they're really saying there. Um, and I, like, again, I feel like I just see a lot of echoes of comments that Trump made, for example, like claiming that COVID was only a problem in China and wouldn't impact the U.S. Um, and in October 2020, when the U.S. had more COVID cases than any other country, he referred to the pandemic as a, quote, fake news media conspiracy. So just very similar, like, acting as though fair media coverage is bad or wrong. Um, And just like in the U.S., major tech companies like Twitter have been helping out with this disinformation campaign, even censoring tweets from state officials who publicly disagree with Prime Minister Modi because the Indian government has claimed that they violate Indian law. Um, so, you know, here in the U.S., Trump was voted out of office, thankfully. And while Biden has in many ways downplayed the seriousness of the pandemic in terms of kind of pushing capitalism as usual to resume more quickly, he has at least not been making super extreme comments, like just saying that the pandemic is fake. Um, Mm. And he has really been pushing the vaccination effort. But this is only possible because the U.S. has been able to get access to tons of vaccines. Um, As of this week, about 40% of adults here are fully vaccinated, which is great. And we're seeing a tenth of new cases as compared to just a few months ago. But in India, access to the vaccine has not been so easy. So we're going to talk a little bit about why that is and how the U.S. and other countries have created that situation. Yeah. Um, So one thing quickly also just to just to really uh, underline what a fucked up country we live in is uh, well, two things, really. Um, Number one. Uh, they're they're starting to look at both a the access to the vaccine here in the United States and uh, what would be herd immunity, meaning like there's enough of the vaccine in society that we as a society are like kind of immune. Right. Because in the United States, we have tons of people who are against the vaccine on an ideological basis in the united states we will not it's it 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 seems like we will never reach herd immunity so here in the united states we have all this access to this vaccine right and people are not taking advantage of it exactly very frustrating (laughs) yeah so in the and i also think like yeah i was just gonna say also like i feel like there has been like the government is not doing a good enough job of making clear that everyone can get the vaccine and like getting it to enough people. Cause I do think there are people oh, yeah. who like haven't been able to get it cause they can't take time off work or whatever. But yeah, it's like frustrating that we are squandering even this great like amount of vaccines that we have. Yeah. 
And, and it's just absolutely bonkers. Like, I feel like the way that the information spreads is like a friend of mine will post on their Instagram story that there's a surplus at this right. location. And if anyone is yeah, like, exactly. this is literally how the information <laughs> is being spread. Um, so that's part of it, right? Is like just this like blatant, not only ignorance, but this kind of sense of what is the word? It's like you're you're impervious to any harm. Mm, yeah, like people invincibility. Think people yeah. think they're invincible. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me on that. Um, <laughs> so people think they're invincible, and it's it's really it's really frustrating as someone who has multiple chronic illnesses. But we'll get into that. Uh, but the next thing I wanted to quickly rant about is the fact that okay, well, first of all, I must admit. That about 10 or 11 years ago, I got certified to be able to teach yoga. Um, and I wanted to say that. I am Laura and I'm a yoga instructor. I'm, I am a former <laughs> yoga instructor. Um, yeah. I offered some like classes for whatever cause at the time needed it or whatever the fuck I don't know yeah uh but then I just stopped altogether because I felt really gross as a white person doing it uh yeah but but because of that I guess what I want to say is um so like like I said I have not been involved in any studio or anything like that in quite a long time uh however (laughs) there is so much in that like either a that is well intentioned in the sense that they're trying to do an authentic understanding of the history of yoga and so there's a lot of information about things that happen in india because a lot of yoga Mm -hmm. and ashrams and things like that that are like the the yoga uh nidras all of that came from india so um like the teachings rather of yoga um, mm-hmm. and because the physical aspect of it is only one layer um, and there's like other limbs of yoga. Um, anyway, obviously in the United States, if you live here, you know, yoga places are the fucking worst. Uh, they're just like breeding ground for lib white women to feel empowered and enlightened in the yep. most egregious and fucked up way. Uh, I think as a practice physically for your body, it can be okay. And so I don't want to like be too harsh on it um, because it can be a low impact way for people who might not be able to get physical fitness in other ways. However, obviously there's a huge industry around yoga in the United States that that is very profitable. And this is important because I think it's really critical for those anyone who is profiting from the yoga industry or anyone who also like is just actively involved in a yoga community because if you are actively involved in a yoga community you probably have money so um because you can't access it otherwise so uh i'm not talking to y'all who are doing this in your home from youtube or whatever (laughs) like whatever do your thing i'm talking to the other there's there's a difference and y'all know it um and i just think it's really really critical that particularly if you are involved in in any way in the yoga world that you you need to be giving your money to india and we have we will have links at that uh in the description yes amazing um that's a really good point that i didn't even think about but so true um so we wanted to talk a little bit about why this whole situation is happening in India on top of the kind of basic like lack of access to supplies that a lot of countries have been dealing with. Um, so obviously we know that the pandemic has been very difficult to manage and most countries have really struggled, the U.S. included. But as the vaccine is rolling out and helping to reduce those numbers, it's not equally available everywhere. Um, While I was researching this episode, I actually did not realize this, but I found out that so far 10 countries make up 75% of all vaccinations and 130 countries have not gotten a single dose of the vaccine, which is just like, that just really drives home to me. Yeah. How just unequal this is. Um, And a major reason that this is happening is because of this World Trade Organization policy called TRIPS 
it basically allows healthcare companies in one country who have a patent on something to apply their patents to all 159 countries in the World Trade Organization. So even companies in other places can't make generic versions of that drug or product. Um, so what this means is that the major pharmaceutical companies producing the vaccine have a monopoly on production. Not enough is being made. And on top of that, richer nations like the US are able to buy up a bunch of it because you know, these companies are just interested in making money. They just go to the highest bidder while poorer countries are left unable to afford as many doses as they need or any doses at all in a lot of cases. Um, I think this is especially egregious because the development of the vaccine was funded with public money. It's like the vaccine should be free and available to everyone no matter what, but it's just even more absurd to me that these drug companies got public support and are now refusing to actually use that to help the public, which was like the whole point of giving them the money to do this. Um, so the US and European Union countries are projected to reach widespread vaccination coverage by the end of 2021. Um, as Laura mentioned earlier, we have our own issues <laughs> with whether we're actually going to get to herd immunity, but widespread coverage basically meaning like at-risk people have been able to be vaccinated and yeah, all of that. Um, but for poorer countries, based on the current reality, they won't be able to get widespread vaccination coverage until 2024. Um, this is a truly inhumane and unlivable situation. While we in the US are all getting ready to reemerge into our regular lives and like go back to work and school if we were doing that remotely, see family, which is all great and very exciting. And I'm so excited to do all of that. But most people in the world don't have a hope of doing that safely for three more years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, uh, as Julia was talking, just because I realized I, this, you telling, talking about how that, um, whatever it was, 130 countries have not gotten a single dose. I wanted to look at our incarcerated population because I feel like in the United oh, States, yeah. obviously. The, <laughs> right. It hasn't been equal at all. Right. Um, and so uh, there's actually an article that just came out from the Marshall Project a few days ago on this. So uh, essentially what it's saying, which is what we know about prison, <laughs> why we are abolitionists. Uh, is that there are like very vague distribution languaging and there's only like a few states that have explicitly put uh, imprisoned people into the phase one rollout. Yeah. Um, and uh, like most of it's just vague, vague worded plans and, uh, and uh, there's a whole list compiled by the Prison Policy Initiative of like who, what places have gotten vaccines and who hasn't. And then there's there's also some mm -hmm. people currently doing research by like talking to fo incarcerated folks to see um, like what that rollout process has actually been like on the inside. Um, so hopefully we'll have more information on that soon. But as we know, the prison system, including the systems associated with ICE and uh, the crimigation, crimi I was like, the, the <laughs> criminalization of immigrating, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> all of that is kind of its own legal free world uh legally like in the united states because there's just no uh mm -hmm. protections against those people so um not great <laughs> okay yeah. but the thing that i actually wanted to say <laughs> is that the world trade organization is currently considering a pro proposal to address this inequity that we've been talking about um, particularly as India, South Africa, and more than 100 other nations advocate to waive these intellectual property rights for the coronavirus vaccine and medications, um, which this might let manufacturers in poor countries make their own. So like that means they would get access to essentially the way to make it because the intellectual property would become free enough that mm -hmm. other company, other like companies that could have the ability to make this could 
use someone else's um res- I'm like recipe is that yeah, just- <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like instructions for how to yeah, make it right instructions like, yeah. <laughs> um but of course as Julia laid out with the absolutely staggering and criminal effects of these privatization efforts surrounding intellectual property health and everything else wrapped up in this capitalistic dumpster fire it's like hard to feel hopeful <laughs> Yeah, so it just like Laura said, this basically would make it so countries can choose what they want to do, like if they want to enforce these drug patents or not, um, when it comes to the vaccine. Um, this proposal has for a very long time, this came out in October 2020, um, and it has a lot of support from governments in the global south who have some of the least access to vaccines and are suffering the most from a second wave of COVID cases right now. Um, Countries like Kenya, Venezuela, Argentina, and Indonesia are in full support, as is the World Health Organization. But initially, the U.S., Canada, and the European Union, and the U.K. opposed it. So this literally was the case up until today, uh, which is May 5th, 2021. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I had to call Julia and be like, it was like uh, right as we were about to record, this like, came out. This change. <laughs> so like okay, uh, so this afternoon, uh, United States Trade Representative Catherine Tai said in a statement, "Quote: The administration believes strongly in intellectual property protections. Like, of course, they had to fucking say that first. I just fuck. Right. Anyway, whatever. What the fuck? Okay." But in service to ending this pandemic supports the waiver of those protections for COVID-19 vaccines. So a step, a step, but still. (laughs) Right. And it's like, you know, this still has to get past the whole World Trade Organization. Um, But this is it is good that the U.S. is supporting it. Um, I mean, why did this happen now, 14 months too late? Right. So basically, it's because a ton of organizations from DSA to more mainstream kind of like nonprofits like Amnesty International and Doctors Without Borders were all calling on Biden to do this. Bernie sent him a letter with a few other senators that was like, you need to do this. Um, And basically, there's a World Trade Organization meeting this Wednesday and Thursday. So today, if you're a Patreon listener. um, So this was a big deadline for Biden to change his decision on this. And thanks to some really tireless activism by a lot of folks, I think he finally just realized this was too bad for him politically to not support it. Like, literally, everybody was like, you need to do this, except the politicians who are backed by the pharma industry, who were like... Which we will get to. to. Oh my god! It's just it's so terrible. It's dark. Um, But you know, so Biden supporting this waiver will do a lot to help the situation, and I think it's a good sign in terms of the World Trade Organization approving this. But this does also go beyond just one policy decision. Um, For one thing, like I mentioned, the waiver doesn't mean that countries have to stop enforcing patents. So like pharmaceutical companies in the US, for example, could continue to sell the vaccine for really high prices here, but they just won't be able to stop other countries from making different choices, which countries who are really struggling will. Um, And beyond that, India and other countries are much worse off when it comes to things like oxygen and ventilator supply. So well-resourced countries need to be sharing these resources if we're going to get this worldwide pandemic under control truly around the world. Um, And the truth is that vaccine production is just limited in so many different ways by capitalism. In Canada, for example, which is a very wealthy country, there just aren't many vaccine production facilities. They all left, many of them moving to the US after Canada implemented universal healthcare. So it's like, you know, capitalism sucks race to the Um, bottom bullshit yeah like and this wasn't as big of a problem when the u.s and other countries with big pharmaceutical industries like france germany and japan agreed to export the drugs they make which during normal times they do and then canada buys them and then people get them for free because yay socialized medicine (laughs) um which is how it should work but right now most countries are blocking the export of vaccines produced within their borders and they're basically like hoarding the vaccines that they do have for themselves um biden has committed to sending some extra vaccine doses that the u.s has to india which hopefully he'll follow through on he hasn't done this yet 
but that's really just a stopgap measure until companies can actually produce and provide a lot more vaccines. Um, So (laughs) this brings me to one of my favorite topics to rant about, abolishing intellectual property. Um, So we're going to mostly focus on the healthcare and agricultural industries here because those are two of the biggest ways that this impacts public health and the average person's life. But just know that everything we're saying applies to pretty much every single industry. Um, Intellectual property law helps major corporations maintain ownership of things that should be freely available to the public and sue people into oblivion for small offenses like illegally downloading a movie. Meanwhile, it does very little to protect small content creators who don't have the resources to pursue lawsuits against people. I feel like sometimes people think like, oh, copyrights are good because they let like individual artists protect their work. But it's like, if you don't, if you're not able to sue a major company, you're not going to be able to actually use it. And even if you do, if you can't afford the same amount of legal support as a huge corporation, you're not very likely to win that suit. Yeah. And the U.S. Supreme Court has made rulings on this multiple times and sides with the corporation often. So let's just abolish the Supreme Court while we're at it. And as Julia will get to in a moment, when it's been in some smaller courts, companies will actually might lose their case uh, often um, as it is blatantly unconstitutional. And maybe those judges are less corrupted. Um, But uh, also fuck the Constitution. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, it's just like abolish laws, but specifically, (laughs) we're focusing on intellectual property law. Um, Exactly. You know, that doesn't limit us. We can also abolish the Supreme Court and the Constitution while we're at it. Limitless. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry specifically, the biggest issue is the way that companies are able to patent drugs they develop and then prevent other companies or people from manufacturing, selling or making those drugs available for a set number of years. So generally how this works is a company develops this new life-saving medical treatment, often with some amount of support from our very own taxes. They immediately patent it. So now no one else can make that product. And if they do, the pharma company can sue them until the patent expires, which right now takes 20 years for drug patents. Um, So yeah, like that's such a long time. That basically means that they can charge whatever they want for the next two decades because they have a monopoly on that product. So sometimes things end there and then like we just have to wait two decades until we can get an affordable version of this product. But if the drug is particularly important or likely to be needed by a lot of people, basically if a company thinks a lot of people are going to buy us and there's money this and there's money here, um, a generic drug company will announce that they're going to start making a generic version of the drug and they're essentially challenging whether the patent has a right to exist. So they end up in this lawsuit where they're like suing each other. The big name pharma company and the generic company are fighting it out in court and they pretty much always come to a settlement. Like these companies are not going to go to trial. They just come to some sort of agreement and money changes hands and that's the end of it. So here's the really wild part. And this is the part that actually affects most of us. The way these settlements often work is that the big name company knows they won't be able to defend their right to hold this patent in a trial. So they pay the generic company a settlement to not sell the generic version of the drug. And the generic company agrees to this. They agree to be paid off and not produce more of the medication for a set period of time. This is usually less than the 20 years it would be otherwise, but it can still be a long time. So the generic company wins because they get to be the second company ever to sell the drug, and they can usually still sell it at a pretty high price at that point. Um, They actually get often this like exclusive period of six months where they're the only generic company. So it's like still limited who can make it. Um, The brand name company wins because they get to be the only company making the drug for like a decade still while they're limiting who can sell it and like price gouge people who need that medication. The ones who really lose in all of this are the average people like you and me who are just trying to get the medicine we need. And these companies are just coming to these like backroom deals to avoid that happening. Yeah. Um, one of the more successful parts of the Bernie Sanders campaign was his ability to put real stories as well as real numbers to this crisis. And he often focused on insulin, 
which is the life-saving medicine for folks who have diabetes. Insulin costs in the United States are outrageous, and there's no other option for folks who have this chronic illness. And as someone who has multiple chronic illnesses and will be on medication my whole life, it obviously makes vulnerable populations more vulnerable by pushing them further into poverty. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, I was also thinking another common medication that folks may have heard about is the EpiPen. Um, This is a life-saving allergy medication that many people use. My dad carries one with him because he's allergic to bee stings and he goes mountain biking. So it's like, it allows you to not die while you get to the hospital if you come into contact with the thing you're super allergic to. Um, And a few years ago, the brand name manufacturer started jacking up the price of this product to be hundreds of dollars out of pocket until finally in 2018, the FDA actually approved a generic version of it. Um, So that's another example of this in practice that people might've heard about. Yeah. It just makes me so mad because I I literally, while we were talking, like had to have my inhaler and that was a thing that used to cost a shit ton of money too. Yeah. That's so, it's like literally anything that we need to live, companies are just like, let's make that super expensive because people have to buy it. And exactly. it's like, what the fuck? Exactly. Um, so this is slightly separate, but it, it is connected to this. Um, the United States is one of the only countries in the world that allows pharmaceutical companies to advertise to the public. Uh, yeah. Like literally the, the, this isn't legal in other countries because medicine shouldn't be advertised to us. We don't know anything. We're not trained as doctors. We don't know anything about this. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. So the reason why this can happen is because pharmaceutical companies, through Citizens United and other rulings by the aforementioned cursed Supreme Court, are Ooh. able to lobby <laughs> are able to lobby politicians as though they are people. Also, there's a shit ton of dark money where big pharma companies are literally paying politicians hella dollars and sending them on trips and whatever. Like, literally, like, that kind of shit. There are pharmaceutical loopholes in so many bills passed in the U.S. legislative branch, and those bills might not have anything to do with health. It doesn't matter. It's just one of those things in our fucked up uh, legislative system that there's all these little caveats that kind of get into all these bills. And a lot of stuff having to do with pharmaceutical companies is in those bills. Wow. I hate that. Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) Relatedly, (laughs) I would like to talk about the United States view on addiction generally and how much more fucked that is when you realize U.S. politicians are at the root of our opiate crisis. Yeah. Um, so prescription drugs that contain opiates are given freely within the United States as pain medicine um, and elsewhere, you know, uh, while some people can take these drugs and be OK, many can develop an addiction fairly quickly, particularly if you've had a major surgery, you might be put on a strong painkiller or opiate for several months at a time. And so when you combine that pill-pushing pharmaceutical industry with the stigma around the disease of addiction, it's just unforgivable. The United States has some of the worst treatment facilities for addiction when we think about things that, like, your health care could cover, like psych wards or anything like that. The the people, the staffing are so underpaid and underworked, so it ends up being, like, very... um, hostile places for people struggling with mental health issues and the facilities that are actually good with dealing with for dealing with addiction are accessible only to those who have tens of thousands of dollars to spare which is essentially no one so when we talk about how these private companies can influence the government it's not only so we can be safe from things like covid um or have like our medicine, even though it's like absolutely criminal to to not get us the medicine we need. It also can be that they are dark as fuck and know how addiction works very well and exploit that uh, information on everyday people for profit. Um, it makes me really fucking mad. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And it's like, it's just all connected to how these huge companies are in charge of something that should be like a public right and a public good. Yeah, it's commodified. And, you know, the problem is capitalism. Exactly. Obviously. <laughs> As we know. Happy birthday, Mark. Here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when particularly when it comes to these global health crises like epidemics and pandemics, it's just so clear that drug patents are the problem. So some people have probably heard the story that Jonas Salk, the inventor of the polio vaccine in the 1950s, refused to patent it. Um, I just really liked this quote when asked if he would patent the vaccine. He said, could you patent the sun? Spoiler alert, you cannot. Um, the decision not to patent the polio vaccine allowed it to be manufactured globally and was a huge factor in getting that epidemic under control. He's really one of the only good men, to be quite honest. So love you, Jonas Salk. Yeah, one of the only men approved <laughs> by this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, we obviously know that companies like Pfizer and Moderna have not chosen to go that route. Pfizer is projected to make up to $30 billion from vaccine sales and Moderna to make up to $20 billion. Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca have agreed to provide vaccines on a not-for-profit basis, so they're selling them at the cost they take to make, but they're still expected to make billions of dollars in sales when some of the money that they spent to make the vaccines was public funding, so they're still making money in all of this. Um, but... All hope, yeah, it's just like, what, why? Um all hope is not lost. Something that I learned in researching this episode that I didn't know is that with the AIDS epidemic, it was the work of anti-patent activists that finally allowed life-saving treatments to be made available to low-income people and poorer countries that were suffering the most. So even after drugs were available that could help, they cost about $10,000 a year, which is not affordable for most people, um, and meant that poorer countries couldn't even buy it at all to have a supply there. But in the years after patent exemptions were finally made for antiretroviral treatments after all of this activism, the cost of HIV medication dropped by 99%. So there have been wins in this area before, and we can do it again. It's like a good sign that we're seeing this TRIPS waiver getting some more support. But ultimately, as long as patents exist, this same fight is going to come up every time an important new medication is invented. Yeah. Who is that like guy that looked like a gremlin who was kind of involved in this? <laughs> Martin Screlly or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> yes. He he was jacking up the price of some medicine, so. Yeah, I feel like, what what was he doing? It might, that might have been related to, oh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Daraprim, which is an HIV medication. Okay, that's uh, why I was like. Yeah. Yo, he fuck totally, that guy. <laughs> Looks yeah, like so a gremlin. Like, he does look like a gremlin. Yeah, like even after that fight was won, someone can come in and buy that patent or like a new medication is created and the same thing just happens again. It's yeah. like, you know, there's always going to be Martin Shkreli's in the world. We just need to <laughs> take away their ability to do anything to us. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, switching off the the medicine side of this but you know Ooh. staying on our bullshit which is hating on intellectual property uh, <laughs> uh i know we've talked about this on our food sovereignty episodes and our other food justice episodes um but it's definitely been a minute so i would like to rant about food patents um Obviously, we've been mad as hell about these pharmaceutical patents because they provide life-saving medicine to people. Um, well, you know, food is also fucking required to live. But here in hell, uh, which is the United States, <laughs> we've decided that it's actually totally okay to patent gene genetic property. So companies like Monsanto, uh, that's the big bad that most people know, but there are others, uh, will patent their specific genes in their crops and then set up all over the country by buying up cheap land that farmers were pushed off of because of poverty and capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Monsanto patented seeds will plant those patented seeds and then 
when the seeds go to flower, like, you know, seeds do because they're a fucking plant and they cross pollinate with farmland near there, Monsanto will then fucking sue the neighboring uh, farmland for tainting their intellectual property with their like bunk genetics. So then those farmers end up going out of business and then Monsanto just buys up their land. Um, yeah. At another issue with that too is like they'll make a version of the crop that's resistant to pesticides. Yes. But then they'll use the pesticides and the wind blows them over to other farmers' farms and kills all their crops. Exactly. And then if people like are forced to buy those seeds that only Monsanto sells, like that's the only way they can survive because the like pesticide is coming no matter what. Exactly. It's terrible. It's it's very bad. Uh, so another way, because I'm a musician, so I'm always like thinking about music. Uh, <laughs> another way this is really fucked up is for things in the music industry. Um, musicians who get famous when they are teenage girls, which happens more than you would imagine. You know, picture Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, Demi Lovato, Miley Cyrus. Um they have some of the most predatory patenting and licensing in their contracts. Well, not Miley Cyrus because her dad is in the industry and she had those protections mm, early on. Makes sense. But I just meant she got into the industry young. I just was like, right. I don't want to spread a misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, you know, they have this very predatory patenting and license. It's like licensing in the music industry, but it's all mm -hmm. the same shit, right? Um, and... Because they're so new and young and they don't have the wealth yet to hire a lawyer to look at these contracts clearly, a lot of young musicians will get taken advantage of, especially when they're like clearly filled with potential. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why if you aren't aware or if you like maybe have been seeing like Taylor Swift's n oldest album like recently recirculating a lot, Fearless, um, she is re-releasing her albums in chronological order because she did not own the rights to her own songs um, up until recently. So um, up until her more recent albums, rather. And so she's going back and re-recording them on her own. And and in parentheses, she says Taylor's version. And so, like, no one is streaming mm. the other version anymore. Um Nice. And that's uh, a great idea. Yeah. I so she has the means to do that now. But obviously, like many musicians are not Taylor Swift, but still like you don't need to be that famous of a musician to get signed to a record label. And a lot of that stuff can be really predatory around this same licensing. Yeah, like I wasn't sure if we were going to have time to get into all of the different ways this impacts stuff, but I think we do have time to talk about this. So here I go. These laws just impact so many things. Um, and I think similar to the music industry, it's like who owns art and who is able to access it. And even things like being able to access free or low cost versions of books and academic papers, these things are all protected by copyright law, which is just like the other side of the patent coin. It's all intellectual property law. And like you were just talking about, this is something that literally does not benefit creators. It is mostly just like, publishers, studios, record labels, like the major corporations of the art and entertainment world who are benefiting from this. And a lot of creators hate this because it makes it harder for people to access their work, which is like why most people make their work in the first place. Um, or, you know, part of the reason. In the academic world, for example, researchers have been creating resources like this site called Unpaywall that is basically aiming to share scientific research and other work freely with as many people as possible because researchers themselves don't want this information to be, like, blocked from people accessing it. Yeah. Similarly, so if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you may recall that we used to have music breaks. <laughs> um, so I was in charge of that because I'm, again, obsessed with music and like always wanting to do that. But we stopped because it became really tedious to get a hold of musicians. Um, and if you don't have their permission, even if you've paid for their tracks, you can't mm -hmm. play them. Um, so <laughs> that's why we don't do that anymore. 
Um, but it, but oh, I create playlists behind the scenes. Yeah, season of the bitch. But I do share playlists often. It's essentially me th- and the musicians I want to highlight all the time is what I used to do, uh, and uh, that is still what I do in our season of the B Discord music channel. So. If you are interested, you can go there. Uh, but it like literally, this is all the same shit, right? That like I literally mm-hmm. had to stop because it became too much effort. And it's like half of the people, like, um, who was it? It was like some. I think it was Kathleen Hanna. Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill like added me on Twitter because I was like adding all these musicians, uh-huh. and she was just like. Of course you can play my song on your feminist podcast. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) But, like, it was rare that she said, like, I mean, it's rare that you get the permission. But usually everyone's just like, yeah, I don't care. And and obviously for those people who were, like, newer musicians, we were paying for the stuff. But it's all a mess. Um, so right before we wrap up into like the how you can uh, help out this crisis, uh, I just want to... (laughs) just take my little uh disabled ass and uh rant again about how ableist our society is not just our government but how normal people are too uh many of my friends and myself have autoimmune disorders and other chronic illnesses that will put us at continued risk for these types of issues and to be clear infectious disease and illness is something that will only continue to be exacerbated by climate change the climate zone for carrying for disease carrying insects and bacteria is only growing in 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 size like the zone where those species can live is growing because of climate change um and so when that happens it makes the non-human points of contamination higher which makes it even that much harder to contain once it does reach the human population um, so think of like the Zika virus, right? That was kind of contained, quote unquote, to um, Latin America. Uh, and so and like some southern states had to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people who have this mentality that these types of issues will not affect them. And just to be clear, uh, to someone who is disabled, that sounds like you literally don't care whether we live or die, which is exactly the case, um, unfortunately. And we are all growing older and death is the only inevitability. So we obviously need to show up for each other for the time we do have left on this planet. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Thinking about how this combines with climate change. I'm just like, we are so fucked. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. um, Yeah. You know, it's just... Shit's dark, and we live Shit's in and we're here together. hellish times. But yeah, there's there are some things that you can do to help, and you know we we got to keep doing what we can. What yeah. else are we gonna do with our time? We'll on this keep earth? talking to you about it all, and we can yeah. try to you know trudge through it together. Yeah, so true. Um, so one thing you can do is call your representatives and ask them to support sending vaccines, oxygen, and other supplies to India, and continue to support the intellectual property waiver on vaccines. Um, We'll link in the show notes to a document that has a script you can use and a place to look up your reps and where they are standing on these issues. So as we mentioned earlier, the news on this is changing very quickly, literally changed the day we're recording this. So what's most helpful to specifically demand might be shifting in the coming days and weeks. But the general principle is like keeping pressure up, making sure U.S. politicians feel like their constituents care about this issue and they can't just get away with ignoring it. Um, There have also been a number of protests across the country to keep attention on the crisis. So keep an eye out in your local activist groups for announcements of those. Um, And there's also a document you can access. Um, It's at mutualaidindia.com. And again, we'll link to that in the show notes where activists have compiled this huge 70 page list of different mutual aid efforts happening across India that you can donate to. Um, It's more sort of targeted towards donors but if you do live in india or have family or friends there this could also be a good starting point to find out which local organizations and mutual aid funds you might be able to get support from 
and they include a bunch of different things, medical help, help with food, housing, and other basic necessities. And if you need to raise money for a specific cause, for example, related to a family member's passing, there's an email there to contact to get your fundraiser added to that document. So that could be a good place to start in fundraising. Um, and of course, as always, please do your part to destroy intellectual property law however you can, whether that's torrenting movies and sending them to your friends or manufacturing insulin in your apartment or posting free PDFs of educational resources. Every little bit helps. So go out there and destroy <laughs> intellectual property law. I love that this feels like the recycling PSAs of the 1980s, but like way better. Like, please go I forth feel and like pirate. That been, yeah, like if I lived in the 1980s, that would have been my job, like writing a little like, please recycle. <laughs> <laughs> I love this for you. Um so if you'd like to support our very freely available and never patented work, um, <laughs> you can do so by going to patreon.com slash season of the bitch. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at season of the bee. Send us an email, season of the bee at gmail.com. Visit our website, season of the bee.com. Um, and you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Give us some nice reviews. We love to read them. <laughs> I mean, and if you want to give us a one star review that we will like harass you about on our social media, that's fine. I too, mean, I guess. just just don't. Honestly, but just don't. Like, yeah, like what's the point? <laughs> please don't. Why are you listening to this? If you want yeah. to give us one star. Um, and if you do give us some money on Patreon, we have a Discord where you can get access to some of the things like Laura's amazing playlists and some playlists <laughs> created by other folks yes, that we were talking members, about. Yes. Um, you know, chat with some awesome leftist feminist folks. Um, we have a reading group. We're reading some fiction right now. It's a good time. Um, so and yeah. astrology lessons will be starting in a couple weeks, and that's yes. like it's gonna be a tiered thing because it's actually a shit ton of labor. But seems like a lot yeah. of people are interested. So yes, you can find all of that at Patreon.com/slash Season of the Bitch. And that's all for today. <laughs> Love you, Laura. Love you so much. Bye. Bye.